Considering the role technology will play in the future of education is now a key focus for school leaders. At Exertus Ireland, together with Microsoft, we're here to support schools every step of the way with powerful tools to help create brighter futures. Talk to us today about solutions for your school. Visit exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning. Exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning. Now on Documentary on News Talk, producers Connie Broderick and Joe McGill look at the extraordinary events of October 9th, 2016 in Full of Heart, when mother of one Michelle Herbert from Newcastle West suddenly lost consciousness while playing in the Limerick Junior Camogie County Final. I felt grand, I thought, and then um, the next thing, I literally just got dizzy. I could see my mom in the stand right up at the top at the right-hand corner, and then I could just see Jor and Connor in front of me. It was like as if everybody else faded. And then it was literally like curtains closing. All I can describe it as that it was just, you had to take every ounce of strength that I have ever had, as you'd say, and try and fight my way to the top. Felt like that I was swimming underwater in this murky water and that I had to get to the top to breathe. But it just was such a struggle. I just knew, I was like, I need to get out of here and I need to get out of here now. There's an old sporting adage that goes, control the controllables, and expect the unexpected. However, sometimes in sport, as in life, something happens that you can't control or even expect. There was a lot of emotion on the day and, you know, my teammates, they got an awful fright. Like, they saw me die. So my name is Michelle Herbert. I am a mother of a gorgeous little boy, Connor. Um, uh, Ger is my husband. I have one sister, Laura, and a fabulous mom and dad. And I am a chemistry and egg science teacher in Hazelwood College in Drumcolor. Since I've been young, I was always involved in sports, swimming, um, I swam for Limerick Swimming Club, um, played camogie with Newcastle West and would have played underage county level. Anything that was going on really in the town, I would have played soccer, basketball, you name it, I would have been, would have been at it. Michelle's deep love of sport developed in her childhood home in Newcastle West, County Limerick. My dad has been involved in training us for years and I actually don't think myself or my sister have ever played a match that mom and dad weren't at or at least one of them weren't at. My cousins and everything would have always been playing with us as well so it's fantastic, it's a huge part of what we have always done. There goes Michelle Herbert, picks it nicely, moves out of defence, solos out, drives a long ball 20, 30 metres down the line, well done. The people that you've played sport with all your life, are they're your friends. I think when you're friends on the field, you know, as in that obviously spills into your life outside and everyone then has a great love of it, you know, as in, and there is a good rapport, like within Newcastle West Camogie, which is fantastic. Formed in 1923, the Newcastle West Camogie Club 
is a mainstay of the town's vibrant sporting community. Senior champions as late as 2019, the team is backboned by a number of players who helped the club reach the Limerick Junior County Final in 2016. Uh, Michelle Herbert then, the fullback, and Michelle will take the puck out. Michelle, very solid fullback. In 2014, I had Connor. And after that then, I suppose I didn't really have the time to be playing as much, you know, camogie or, you know, they're training with seniors and that. So we set up a junior uh, camogie team in Newcastle West and it was just fantastic. You know, as in there was no pressure, there was no panic, training was great fun. And the first year we set up the team, we used to be grand until the last 10 minutes and then we'd use, let in two or three goals. And we just couldn't seem to score. So I don't think the first year we set up the junior team, we won any match. And then the second year, which was 2016, we had um, a good few under 16s join us. And they were just an injection of fire, as you'd say, into the, the team. They were fantastic. And I'd say we won most of our games and we were very confident going into the county final against Tour and Fulla that we were going to do the business you'd say everybody was looking forward to the game there was a real buzz and there was a great atmosphere leading up to the match my name is Sarah Jane Joy I'm uh, from Caloraglan uh, in County Kerry ever since I was a, a young little girl I always wanted to do nursing it was the only thing I wanted to do and I was lucky enough to get the points to do it um, in Cork and um, presently now I'm working in the bonds in Tralee Following her marriage to Niall, Sarah Jane moved to the village of Tournafulla, a hurling stronghold in West Limerick. I moved to Tournafulla a couple of years ago now, and um, I suppose I'm a very sporty person. I would have played football for Kerry for years um, for the senior team and would have been heavily involved in basketball as well. So Camogie was the only thing that they did in Tournafulla, so I had no choice but try to pick up the stick and play. We never reach any finals really with Turnafulla, but that year we actually managed to, to reach the final against Newcastle West, um, which was a super achievement. So the whole parish was there and um, it was a beautiful day in Cooley Roo. Come on, Tour! It was a beautiful day out in Cooley Roo. The sun was shining and everyone was just, you know, getting ready to to go out and looking forward to the match. And you could see like there was even a big crowd coming because, you know, when you're playing Tournafulla, everybody goes to their matches. So we had kind of been trying to dig up a crowd, as you'd say, and encourage people to come to our matches. So you could see even there was a big old crowd coming into the stand and that was heightening the atmosphere. So there was a good atmosphere on the day out in Coolyroo. On Sunday, October 9th, 2016, the parishes of Newcastle West and Tournafulla, separated by no more than 13 kilometres, came together in Quaid Park, Kuliru, Fiohana, for the Limerick Junior County Final. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Kuliru for the Limerick Junior County Kogi Final. The teams line out are selected on your programme. So I suppose the start of the match, um, I went out and I didn't know the girl that I was marking. Um, and you know the way normally you'd know most of the people from tour, we'd have played them before. So I didn't know Sarah Jane, but I knew she looked vaguely familiar. 
But when we were going out in the car um, to the match, Dad had said to me, Michelle, please don't be talking now during the match. You know, it's a county final and concentrate on the game and don't be chatting to your marker. So Sarah Jane was all busy and, you know, she's real lively and she was hopping around. And like I said, no, I probably wouldn't be the fastest person on the pitch. So uh, she was saying, oh, it's a lovely day. And I was like answering her yes, no, and trying not to get drawn into a conversation. I lined out at full forward. Um, I suppose the player I was marking on the day, um, I always knew that she was a, a tough competitor. Usually full backs are very tough and physical. And um, Michelle on the day was very physical, but um, I would have been a target woman, I suppose, on the day, because I could catch the ball. I don't have much skill. Uh, never played camogie before, so I could catch the ball and run with it. So Michelle was told to kind of stick on me that way, and she really did. I knew like that she was going to be good, as you'd say. So the first five or ten minutes, you know, the reason you want to win every ball as much as you can. Um, so I think we were winning a good bit. Um, like I had taken a couple of frees, like two or three balls had come down to the full back line and we had dealt with them fairly easy enough, as you'd say. And I'd say we were maybe up six or seven points heading in at half time. Dad was our manager and at halftime was telling us we needed to start again afresh in the second half and not take anything for granted. On to the second half, felt fine. Um, one of the girls had said to me, you know, Michelle, you need to stick real tight to her. She's really, you know, really good. And um, I was in my head, I was saying, you know, you should up and mind your own player, which kind of looking back wouldn't really be like me, you know, as in, but I, I don't know whether I was getting agitated or what. Um, but I felt grand, I thought. And then um, the next thing, Kate got a belt in the fingers and she went down injured. And I literally just got dizzy, you know, as in just got a little bit dizzy, put my hurley out to steady myself. And then I could see my mom in the stand and she was right up at the top at the right hand corner. And then I could just see Jor and Connor in front of me. It was like as if everybody else faded and all I could see was the three of them. And then it was literally like, Curtains closing. Five minutes into the second half, with play halted for an injured player, 32-year-old Michelle suddenly collapses to the ground. Then all of a sudden I just looked over at her and um, I could see that she was having some sort of a seizure or something was happening with her and then she just dropped to the ground. I ran over to her straight away and I took off my own helmet which took ages because I could never take it off and um, just went over then and knelt beside her and took off her helmet and I suppose straight away just the look of her, she just wasn't right and like she was fish running around next to me before that and I knew I had to start straight away because just it just is out of the ordinary for that to happen. Michelle, can you hear me? I think a couple of people in the stand like were saying, oh, they must be fighting. And I know two of my teammates, I think they tried to pull her off me, you know, as in because they thought that she was hurting me again. They didn't know, you know, and I think 
Like, I just am so lucky that it was Sarah Jane was first on the scene, you know, took off my helmet, saw that my lips were gone blue, that I was cold to touch, that I had no pulse, and that she's a strong enough character. She was able to say, back off, I know what I'm doing, I need a defib, I need an ambulance. She took control of a situation that was very difficult to take control of, you know. In that moment, I think I went into overdrive. Um, I just went into kind of ABC, what needed to be done for Michelle. Kind of went into the nursing background that I know, like I've done the CPR training. So like I was confident and competent in what I had to do. So my next step then was I checked for a pulse. Um, she didn't have a pulse, so I started compression straight away. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, um, like it's so important to start them straight away like and it, it has been proven like even without an AD if you can keep doing um, compressions that are adequate because obviously sometimes you can be doing compressions that aren't um, to the right depth and things but just keep going. As Michelle lay unconscious on the field her husband Jur, who had brought their two-year-old son Connor to the match along with her parents Mary and James the team manager all looked on in disbelief from the sidelines. I'm Mary, I'm Michelle's mum. I was on the stand um, watching the match and we were doing well, Newcastle West were winning and we were. I was chatting away with my friends and then all of a sudden somebody said there are two people fighting down at the end of the pitch and I kind of looked because we had had a girl injured at the time and James was over attending to her. I looked and then I realised it was Michelle was down and then I realised there was something wrong. I know I can remember calling for help. I remember one of my own girls came over to me straight away and I said, get the head, you know, just to get the head right because I was doing the compressions. More people came then, obviously, and they just said, look, Sarah Jane, we can help, which was great. Like, everyone there was just amazing. Um, I suppose at one stage then, in the middle of everything, I could see how serious the situation was that I said I wanted her family there, that I needed them over to talk to her. I suppose that was the toughest thing because, like, at one stage, we really thought she was gone. Like, it was just... Still even talking about But it was when the family came over then. It just got very real. When I actually got to her, she was lying on the field. Her lips were blue. She, her eyes were open, but they were staring. And it was just an awful sensation altogether. Like, I knew there was something badly wrong. And I caught her hand. It was actually cold, even though, you know, it was just after happening. So then I was kind of talking to her, I suppose. And then I just walked away. I couldn't stay looking at her. I just couldn't cope with it. And they were. I went then and I kind of shouted to the crowd, is there a doctor? And nobody answered me. And then I was saying, is there a doctor, anybody? And there was kind of dead silence. And this girl passed, Roisin Brown, who was one of the players, and she said, Mary, it'll be OK. My mum is coming and she's a nurse. Now, at this stage, I didn't know that Sarah Jane was a nurse or what the story was. Like, I love nursing and I'd be very competent in what I'm doing. So, like, I was very comfortable in the situation. Like, I'd never been in that situation before, so I never knew how I would react. So I suppose that's the way I reacted. So I was extremely lucky that I reacted that way. But you do go into overdrive and 
Like I've done the CPR training. All your training does come into mind. Hi everybody, I'm Bridget Sinnott and I'm from the Resuscitation Department in the Irish Heart Foundation. I'm going to show you the simple skills if somebody collapses, what you should do and the simple skill of CPR. CPR is a vital step in the chain of survival after a cardiac arrest. If you've been taught CPR, you are 10 times more likely to respond appropriately in an emergency. Bridget Sinnott is the Resuscitation Manager with the Irish Heart Foundation. The mission of the Irish Heart Foundation CPR training programme is to strengthen every link in the chain of survival and then in turn that everyone in the future will be a lifesaver. The first three links are associated with community and recognising cardiac arrest early. The fourth link in the chain of survival is the arrival of the ambulance service. So just to give you a little bit more detail on the first three links, the first link in the chain of survival is recognising early that somebody is after having a cardiac arrest. And I suppose one of the, the things that we ask people to do is to ring the emergency services the call taker then will give instructions as to what to do. They'll ask you where you are. They'll dispatch ambulances. They'll dispatch help to you. The second link then in the chain of survival is starting compressions. And the earlier someone gets CPR, the better their chances of survival. So when we start doing the compressions, we now have become the pump for the person that's lying on the ground. It's hugely important that people get in and start to pump on the chest and it's placing your hands in the centre of the chest and then it's pushing down at least two inches to five centimetres at a speed of 100 to 120 beats per minute, which would be like bump, 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 bump. A nice statistic there is that if you start CPR, you double or even triple a person's chances of survival. And then the third link is early defibrillation. So for every minute without CPR or defibrillation, your chances of survival decrease by 10% per minute. You know, if you think about it, it's not a long period of time. So the better people are trained, and even if people are even trained once in their life, the quicker they are at responding. And then, as I said, the fourth link in the chain of survival is the arrival of the emergency services. We in our communities have a lot of work to do before the ambulance service ever arrive. And the stronger that those first three links are, the better survival is from cardiac arrest in our communities. So this person is not breathing normally. And I'm now advised to place my hands in the centre of the chest and push hard and fast. So I'm going to push down about two inches at a rate of 100 to 120 presses per minute. So one. Just a silence really, like you could really hear me counting the compressions, even at the start, like when people thought initially that we were fighting, my mum could hear me counting. She was in the stand like, and she could hear me counting the compressions. There was never such a crowd at a, a junior final in its life. They got an awful shock, like it's something that you, you never want to see. Like no one moved as things went on and progressed people could see how serious it was. Um, I suppose we were all just kind of walking around the field and kind of near her and I was praying and saying Hail Marys. And um, I remember saying to James, stop crying, like pray to your mother and father, anyone that'll help us. And um, she literally was gone, like there was no, um, she was totally lifeless, like it was just... Um, and I remember them coming, like they had, I'd say, two, three sets of compressions done before the defibrillator came out. And I remember the two boys 
coming running with the defibrillator and they're trying to cut the jersey and cut her sports bra and that to get the pads on, you know. Stand clear, analyzing patients, stand clear. I did take control. I was telling people like to get out of the way, like because when the AED started talking and I couldn't hear it and I just roared, I was like, quiet. I said, just be quiet, everyone. I can't hear it talking. Joan, everyone is very good that way. And when you have to shock as well, like you have to make sure that everyone is clear or someone else will get a shock if they're touching her. Shock advised. Stand clear. But you should be getting five cycles of the compressions in until the AED then kicks in then. But like that, when you have the AED and the compressions, you can just work together. You just listen. Once the AED is doing its analysing of the patient, you just have to stop. That's the only time you'd stop is when, when it's analysing the patient. You can take the hands off the chest. Other than that, hands should never be off the chest. So even people that helped me doing the compressions, they would have put their hands on the chest straight away. The amount of time that your hands are off the chest is very important. As Michelle lays unresponsive on the field, her condition becomes more grave with each passing minute. And I remember at different stages thinking in my head, like, please God, you know, if Michelle isn't going to come out of this properly, if she's going to be brain damaged or whatever, just let her close her eyes now. Like, I knew it was serious. There was another nurse there um, on the day, um, Shelley um, Quinn. Um, she was fantastic as well. Like she, um, like we both looked at each other at one stage and we said, like, are we going to lose her? Like she's gone, her lips were blue, she was cold. I don't know how many rounds of CPR and shocks she'd gotten. And like, obviously we were never going to give up. But that moment, I remember the two of us, like we were just like, please God, please let this girl be okay. We can't lose her today. Initially, I suppose, I was talking to her. Then I just felt I can't cope with this, I can't stay, so I went away. Then I came back and I was talking to her. And I suppose it was important for us because, you know, you were trying to do something because you feel so helpless because there's absolutely nothing that you can do, you know. And, like, I wouldn't have known how to do CPR or whatever. Um, I never before experienced anything like it. I never before saw anybody... Unconscious, really. I never saw anybody actually collapsed like that, as you'd say. Um, so it was an awful situation, like, really. It was, it, it actually was surreal. You were kind of saying, is this really happening? I just can't believe this is happening. And then the longer it went on, the more you thought, well, this isn't going to end well, you know. And, you know, I remember saying to Michelle, come on, you have to fight and you have to stay with us for Connor and all this. In Michelle's fight for life, the mention of her son Connor appears to trigger the first glimmer of awareness. From my, as you'd say, recollection, I, I think it was towards the end of it that I could hear voices. I could hear mom and I could hear Jur um, saying to me, Michelle, you need to wake up. You need to wake up for Connor." And up until that, it was, I think it was when they said, you know, you need to wake up for Connor. I was saying, oh my God, I need to get out of here. That's what I could describe it as, that you, you kind of, it's like as if you have to wake up. And all I can describe it as that it was just, you had to take every ounce of strength that I have ever had, as you'd say, and try and fight my way to the top. 
And like, I know I wasn't swimming, but you know, as in that's what it felt like, that I was swimming underwater in this murky water and that I had to get to the top to breathe. You know, as in, you know, sometimes if you dive into a pool and you know, you need to get to the top to catch your breath. That's what I could describe it as, that it was such a struggle to get to the top. And in one ear, as you'd say, there was someone saying, like, I don't know who it was, but there was someone saying, Shell, just close your eyes, all the pain will be gone and you'll be fine. And then in the other voice then, like I could hear, you know, either mom or Jer saying, you need to wake up, you need to fight. And then, you know, we'd be asking, what's the story with the ambulance? And um, Deirdre Ambrose was brilliant. She was on to the ambulance the whole time. And we were asking, what's the story and where are they now? If someone had told me once more that the ambulance was 10 minutes away, I was actually going to scream. I actually, the lady on the phone was fantastic that had rang them, obviously. She was standing over us. But I think I turned around at one stage. I must have been in the middle of it. And I must have been like, how long more? Like, And she said, oh, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. I said, well, I said, you said 10 minutes, 10 minutes ago. Do you know, as in, because it was getting so, like, we had been doing it for so long that I was like, where are they? It felt as if they were forever coming. Like, I thought she was gone. Like, she just turned a different color. It felt like a lifetime what we were doing. Like a dream, to be honest with you. I just knew I was like, I need to get out of here and I need to get out of here now. You know, when you have that kind of a panic state, it's even, you know, all I can describe it as, you know, when the alarm goes off, you tip the snooze button and the next thing then you look at the clock and you're like, oh my God, I need to go, I need to go now. All I can remember is it felt like that there was just someone pulling you back, that you it was really hard to get to the top. You know, that's what I could describe it as. And then, as I say, all of a sudden then, the AED analysed her after one set of compressions and it said, shock not advised. No shock advised. I think everyone looked at me as if to say, what do we do now? Like, it was kind of like, okay, recovery position. Check her out and she just kind of opened the eyes then. You're listening to Full of Heart on Documentary on News Talk. 26 minutes after collapsing from playing in the Limerick Junior County Camogie final for Newcastle West against Turner Fuller, 32-year-old Michelle Herbert regains consciousness. I can remember opening my eyes and I think, you know, people were shocked, as you'd say. It was kind of eerily quiet. Like, I could see that people's eyes were red and that, but it just kind of seemed really quiet. She actually opened her eyes and... Like, it was like she came back, as you'd say. It was surreal. It was kind of like a a scene from a film or something like. Obviously, Michelle's time wasn't up. I couldn't get over that, first of all, the machine, the AD had said, no shock advised. So I was like, what does that mean? She'd been shocked so many times and we'd done so many compressions that it was kind of like, what? And then when she opened her eyes, it was just... Oh, my God. It seemed to me like there was about eight or ten people around me, you know. 
and initially like again now I can look back at it but initially I was like oh my god where are my clothes you know then I was like I think I'm naked like so then um they were like cover up you know so she doesn't get cold or that and then I was saying like what is going on here you know but I just had this sense of calm and it's really weird because I would not describe myself as a calm person at all at all like you know but when I opened my eyes it was like as if I'm going to be okay. She was just so shocked. She had no idea what was going on, you know. But she was, she was alive and had a pulse. That was, that was the, the best thing ever. When I came around, I don't think I will ever forget the pain that I had. And I can remember, like, being on the pitch and I still didn't realise what was after happening. You know, as in I thought that was I after getting a bang or, you know, as in was someone after banging into me or what? And I was saying, oh, my God, you know, as in the pain of it. Like, I had 12 rounds of compressions, HOCs and the defib. Like, that is giving your body an awful battering as such, as you'd say. Um, like, obviously, when your heart had stopped beating for 26 minutes, your body is very, very tired you know, as in that it takes an awful long time for you to build back up your strength. Like, I was very lucky, they broke no ribs. Like, they were so accurate with those compressions. Like, they were phenomenal. Everybody that did um, compressions on me, like, they were so, so good. But I was just bruised, as you'd say, and, and battered. But I take that any day to be still here. Suffering a cardiac arrest, Michelle received eight defibrillation shocks and 12 rounds of compressions in the 26 minutes, she lay unconscious. While her heart started beating again, questions lingered on any long-term effects. And I suppose another big thing then was that Laura, our other daughter, was in Australia, so we didn't want anything up on Facebook or anything, as it was the middle of the night in Australia, that she'd wake up to hearing that Michelle had collapsed or something. And, like, while we knew she was, you know, back and chatting and all the rest of it, we didn't know what damage was done or what was the story. Obviously, at that stage, myself would have been coming through my head and the other nurses there, is there damage done? What is the significance of this, do you know? That morning, Joe decided to clean the cutlery drawer. And I was saying, for God's sake, like the day of a county final, we don't need to be cleaning the presses, you know. And we had no tea bags in the house. And we were saying, how oh, in the name of God can we run out of tea bags, you know. So I didn't have time anyway to go for the tea bags because we were going to the match. And I can remember opening my eyes and saying, you're not worrying about the tea bags now. I think they knew then that I was, like, mentally fine. I suppose that, you know, the way different thoughts cross your mind, like, as in, that if you're going to survive, but are you going to be the same person, you know? Or is there going to be problems or that? So I know when I said that to Jor, I think he said, she's still here in a way, you know, as in probably giving out. But um, I think it was just looking at people's reactions. And like I said, like, I thought they were overreacting a small bit. You know, initially is what the thought I, I did. I was saying, like, what's all the fuss over, you know? And then when I saw the helicopter, I was saying, Aaron, no, in all fairness, you know, is this really necessary? But again, like, I had no concept at all at all over what was after happening. Like, Everyone was still very um, set on the job that had to be done. Like, I think everyone knew that she still wasn't out of danger it nearly got even more eerie because people didn't know what to do at all. Whereas we were doing our job, the compressions and, you know, doing all of that for so long that kind of the tempo kind of changed a bit and just we were just making sure she was comfortable and putting jackets on her because we were able to put jackets on her at that stage because we didn't have to do the compressions. So, you know, 
she could have gone back into the same um, position she was in before that. So like it's always on your mind. So I think, I think just the thing was, where are the emergency services? It just felt like a lifetime. And like then the helicopter arrived the same time as the ambulance. Thanks be to God, the helicopter came. We'll say I was out for 26 minutes. Um, like the air ambulance came the same time as the ordinary ambulance. It was 40 minutes. I was so well-minded by Sarah Jane and the team that, you know, came in from the stands to help her and Kerry Kelly that was on our sideline. Um, like they had the job done before any ambulance came. So like, but I was just very lucky because if they hadn't started CPR, if there hadn't been a defibrillator there, like 40 minutes is too late. According to a recent survey carried out by the GA Health and Wellbeing Department, 42 lives across Ireland have been saved by automated external defibrillators located in GA facilities being used on members of their communities. In light of this, the GA recently launched the Community Heart Programme. This initiative encourages every club in the country to act now and ensure that their club can also be prepared in case of an emergency and that they can avail of a defibrillator that is accessible, charged, and that there are enough trained rescuers within your club to operate the device. I suppose I carried her to the helicopter with the team of medics that were there, and I left them then, and I just was walking over, and I just literally started shaking. I couldn't stop shaking. I was shaking uncontrollably and I just started bawling crying. When um, I got into the air ambulance, um, the paramedic said, you know, close your eyes there now, Michelle. And I was so tired, but I was so afraid to close my eyes because like people had been shouting at me, you know, there was isn't to open my eyes. And I was afraid then that if I closed them, that I wouldn't open them again. Like they were so reassuring. And he just said to me, Michelle, we're after giving you something, you know, as in relax, it's fine to close your eyes. And then it was like as if that sense of calm came again, you know, and like I knew I was going to be fine. Airlifted to the University Hospital Limerick, Michelle was immediately transferred to the cardiology unit. I was brought up then to the cardiac unit and they did um, an angiogram straight away and that was done by Dr um, Arnoos. Like mom and dad and Jura were waiting above and Jura said that, you know, he said to the nurse, like, she's going to be fine now, isn't she? And like they said, no, you know, there is in the next 24 to 48 hours are critical. Like her pump function is really, really poor. And, you know, the way they didn't know what was after causing the cardiac arrest. So then it could have been very likely that I'd have another cardiac arrest. So they really didn't know, you know, as in what was going to happen. So I think that was when then the really seriousness of it, you know, I was kind of saying, oh, my God, you know, I thought once she opened her eyes now, we were sorted, but we weren't yet. So I had lots of tests again on the Monday and then I couldn't really get out of the bed. It was sore, as you'd say, but like the tiredness was just unbelievable. And again, I wasn't really aware of on Monday that like my pump function was so bad or the things were as serious as they were. Again, I thought people were overreacting a little bit. I didn't believe that I was after having a cardiac arrest, you know. 
I don't think I was ever aware of, you know, for the first week anyways, you'd say that the situation was as severe as it was or as critical as it was. It was maybe Tuesday evening before they kind of told us she was out of danger. At that stage, we didn't know like what kind of a recovery Michelle was going to make. And we would be quite happy like that she'd be home and she'd be with us. She'd have her full brain function and okay, she might be able to tear around the place or whatever. But at the time, we would have been 100% happy with that, like, you know. As the week progressed, test after test followed, with no clear answer as to the cause of the cardiac arrest. By the weekend, the severity of the events, seven days prior, started to sink in. For the first week, I think I was in a bubble, as you'd say, you know, like that I wasn't really too aware of what was happening. Um, and then on the, the following Sunday, um, Anthony Foley um, Munster were playing a match in France and he passed away. They thought it was a suspected heart attack. And I didn't think it was possible to cry for 24 hours, but I now know it is um, because I think when I heard that news, I think it hit me then. If the match had been on when he had collapsed, somebody probably would have been able to save him. Like, if I had been at home, this could have happened to me in my sleep. If there was nobody with me, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have been there. So it was definitely a full week later before the severity of it all hit me, as you'd say, about how serious the situation was and how lucky, how, like, exceptionally lucky that I was where I was when it happened. We kept things as normal as possible. For Connor, he still went to creche every day. And even though you would say we kept everything very normal for him, you would see a lot of things afterwards where it really probably did affect him and where he'd be clingy where he hadn't been or he might come up or say something afterwards that you'd say, oh, my God, you'd think at two and a half he didn't realise what happened. But he definitely realised that something happened. Like, I felt I was missing out so much at home, you know, the ways in, like, it was coming up to Halloween and Connor was, um, like, needed a Halloween costume and all this kind of thing that I should have been taken care of. Um, so that, I suppose, was, was tough going. But, like, when you're in hospital, you just have to concentrate on getting better. And I was, to be honest with you, I was kind of sick of it. I was getting tested from top to toe, but there was no answers. We always want to know what's happening. And I spent... Uh, nearly a month in hospital and when I was on my way home there was no definite answer of what was after happening but I think I just put my trust in you know someone like God I suppose you know that um, you know everything was going to be all right. Before Michelle was allowed to return home she was fitted with a loop recorder device which provides data on a patient's heart rate and rhythm over an extended period. Still, with no answer as to the cause of the cardiac arrest, Michelle's recovery was only just beginning. Like when I came home from hospital, it was tough going. Everyone was so nervous about me, like nobody wanted to leave me on my own. We'll say it was hard going on, Jar, you know, like he was really nervous. A couple of times, like at night, he'd wake me in the middle of the night because he'd say that I wasn't making a sound. I suppose I was very lucky in that I had Connor, you know, and Connor was two and a half and you can't be feeling sorry for yourself. There was, like, obviously emotional days when you were, you know, tired or that it had hit you. And even I think um, sometimes, like, I just felt this awful guilt 
And I didn't know where it was coming from, you know, as in a, someone would pass away, like in similar age to me or, you know, and I'd be saying, oh my God, like, how was that not me? And like, it was awful. So I think you just have to make a decision. Like, am I going to let this define me? Or am I going to live my life, you know, the ways in as I want to? For months afterwards, the thing that I found tough is, like, I wasn't sleeping. You know, I was waking up having nightmares. And my thing that I couldn't sleep about was, what if she didn't live? Like, we had the best situation and the best outcome. But of course, being a nurse, you kind of reflect on everything. I use a Gibbs cycle to reflect on a lot of things. And it says, you know, what happened and what could you have done differently? And sure, we couldn't have done anything differently because we had a good outcome. But I still was going through my mind going, how is she alive? How on earth is she alive? I think it'll live with me forever. We were just very lucky on the day that obviously God didn't want to take her and it wasn't her time. Sometimes I get emotional about it, I suppose. I think of Connor and I just think of what might have been. However awful it would be for James and myself to lose our daughter, I think for Connor to lose his mam would be just horrific. We'd be lost without her. We just took it day by day and I tried different things. I went to mindfulness classes and I tried yoga with Noreen, her, her over in All Around Yoga in Charleville. And that was just like so fantastic because it helped your body recover, but it helped your mind recover as well. And it was just like it took a while, you know, the ways in to try and get back to in what you think is normal. And I see life very different now. Um, like even I remember one day when I came home from hospital, I said to Ger, like everything was brighter. The world looked brighter, you know, as in the leaves and the trees looked brighter. And I just want to hold on to that feeling and try and enjoy the little things in life. In the months that followed, Michelle organized the Thanksgiving Mass in her local church in Newcastle West as a way to say thank you to all who helped her on the day and in the time that followed. There's nothing that you can say or do that'll ever even portray like how thankful you are to everybody. So um, I decided to have a Thanksgiving Mass and everybody that was there, as you'd say, on the day was involved in the Mass. We'd people from Newcastle West and Tournafulla and the referee, um, Mike Flaherty, did a prayer of the faithful and it was just very, very special and there was such a lovely atmosphere in the church and the church was full. The Mass was just about saying thanks to everybody. Whatever part they played, big, small, you know, the reason because, like, yes, Sarah Jane was absolutely, you know, the way took control of the situation, but there were so many people that helped on the day, that helped afterwards, and it just seemed like the most appropriate thing to give back. And it was, it was a very, very special Mass. It would take almost a year before Michelle would finally learn that she suffered a spontaneous coronary artery dissection, otherwise known as SCAD. In SCAD, a tear occurs inside an artery, and that can cause a reduction or blockage of blood flow to your heart. Reduced blood flow can cause a heart attack or cardiac arrest. Conscious of how lucky she was on the day, Michelle has translated her gratitude into something really practical. An agri-science teacher at Hazelwood Secondary College she is now determined to get all the students trained up on CPR so they could respond just as decisively if they are the first responders on the scene. 
Class, today we're going to learn how to do CPR, so can I get you all to come off the seats and get down and kneel down in front of your dummy? Hazelwood College, we opened up our school and we invited schools from all around Munster. The Irish Heart Foundation came down and we trained uh, 26 schools around Munster. The aim of CPR for schools is to train every single student in Ireland in the life-saving skill of CPR. It is a programme that can be done in an hour. It's a free programme. It's a way that every student can be trained. It is a hands-on programme, so they get plenty of time to practice. The kits that you get from the Irish Heart Foundation are fantastic. They can be stored really easily. The dolls can be blown up. And this is something that is so easy for them to learn. So the more people that are trained in Ireland, the better. I would absolutely love if every school in the country could do this programme and that every student, that they are all trained in CPR. Put your dominant hand on the breastbone between the nipples and your other hand on top and you're just going to push down until you hear a click. Go. I would absolutely have loved to have had another couple of years playing camogie, but I did go and play a, a relegation match um, below on Raquel. I'd say it was the year after, maybe. Um, but to be honest with you, like everybody's heart was in their mouth. Nobody wanted to pass me the ball or anything, so I don't know how that would work out. I got to play, look, for nearly 30 years. I was very lucky to play. I made great friends playing. I suppose the 9th of October is always going to be a special day, you know, as in I will always like think of it as the day I got a second chance. But we've never had a poke around together, like ever. No, actually no, except no. that day. Because, well that day, so she didn't get much ball anyway, so. Shut up. <laughs> I was terrible. What did you score, Sergi? I did oh. <laughs> While the events of October the 9th will be forever etched in the memories of those who attended that day, for Michelle and Sarah Jane, their incredible story is only just beginning. Oh, I'd say we'll have a bond now forever. Um, I don't know how you'd describe it. Um, it's just surreal it, like, to, to think that I have a best friend for life out of it and we'll always be involved in each other's families, I think. Do you know, even her mom and dad now are super like I'd meet them and sure you'd swear I'm one of their own family. Sarah Jane, it'll just be a huge part of my life forevermore. Um, like, I'll never ever be able to repay Sarah Jane for what she did. She is just, you know, a very, very special person. And I think even she's almost part of our family, to be honest with you, because I've no doubt in my mind that if, if she wasn't there, I wouldn't be here today. I was actually moving away from her to, in order for me to, to get loose <clears throat> and get a goal. Then Michelle just had to... But in the first half, I'd say she did... Did you touch the ball, Sarah Jane? The ball didn't did come it? down. It did a couple it, of times. It didn't get it there. It did, because you fouled no. me twice. And I did I not. took two frees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to go back on the camera. We'll have to, we'll have to go back in the video. I'd say now. Yeah. Full of Heart was produced by Connie Broderick and Joe McGill and was supported by a grant from the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland as part of the Sound and Vision Scheme.
Considering the role technology will play in the future of education is now a key focus for school leaders. At Exertus Ireland, together with Microsoft, we're here to support schools every step of the way with powerful tools to help create brighter futures. Talk to us today about solutions for your school. Visit exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning. Exertus.ie forward slash Microsoft Teaching and Learning.